from the Southeast Florida studios of the law firm Trip Scott in Fort Lauderdale, this is Politics and Sunshine, a continuing series of interviews with local and national subject matter experts tackling the issues that make you stand up. In this episode, Trip Scott CEO Ed Poswali talks to Fox and Friends weekend co-host and best-selling author Pete Hegseth. Here's your host, Ed Poswali. Today we're joined by Pete Hegseth. Pete is a decorated combat war veteran, father of seven, a co-host of Fox and Friends on the weekend. You've seen him many times. Today we're going to talk a little bit about some of his Fox Nation documentaries, particularly the one about the miseducation of America and Pete's new book, Battle for the American Mind. Pete, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate well, it. You wrote this book. What, what motivated you to write the book? Well, I've, I've, I first came at the subject as a parent, like you, like everybody else. I want the best education possible for my kids. And I partnered with David Goodwin, who runs an association of classical Christian schools. And it was in part based on a discovery I had over time that I got a progressive education and barely survived it. And if, and if I push my kids into the same pipeline with all the nonsense that's now layered on top, I'm failing them as a father. And if I love God and country and I want good things for them, I can't just do it at home. I can't just do it at church. It has to be the 16,000 hours. That was the working title of the book originally, the 16,000 hour <laughs> war uh, that they have in a classroom between kindergarten and 12th grade. And so when we started digging underneath the history um, what do they say for addicts? The first step to recovery uh, is understanding the depth of your problem and coming to grips with how bad it is. When you uncover the 100 years of how uh, distorted our education system has become, uh, we hope to just kind of shake people awake and say, you got to do something about it right now. So the book, The Battle for the American Mind, is the number one bestseller, so it's hit a nerve somewhere, right? <laughs> you uh, know the New York Times did not want to put it. They didn't want to put it. Number there. one on the New York Times list for four weeks in a row. Yeah. But... You know, I always thought that education went to the little of the left in the 60s, sort of with the 60s thought process, cultural revolution, and also the growing strength of the teachers' union. But your book says otherwise. Well, that's a big part of it. And I think that was our working thesis when we came at the project as well, David and I. We both thought, okay, this is mostly a story about the 60s, uh, Supreme Court decisions, you know, the Vietnam War, rebellion, the sexual revolution. And yes, that is a, that, that's part of when it turned, but it really was a far more insidious, intentional a seeding of the ground even 40 years before that. And it starts with one key thing the progressives knew they had to remove, and that was God. Faith in God, understanding in our fallen sinful human nature was fundamental to the republic and what our founders understood. They knew if, we, if we're going to try to create utopian ideas of like Marxists and socialists and atheists, you have to remove God. And so they got to work on that in the 20s and 30s. And it was Marxists from Germany who landed at our education departments and started pushing something called critical theory which we now know as critical race theory or critical gender theory, and it feels like it's everywhere, that was an academic concept intentionally inserted in the 30s and 40s. And we know this because they wrote very openly about it. So it wasn't a secret. They talked about how do we get rid of God, how do we change the schoolroom and make it the centerpiece as opposed to the church, which used to effectively educate kids and gave up that responsibility. And so we moved away from, as an example, church, God, Jesus, and love of country and some of what makes America great yeah. in a certain sense, right, to something else. Well, we, they, what was so brilliant about what the left did is they replaced God first with patriotism. If you read the, in the book, it talks about the original Pledge of Allegiance was actually written by a socialist right. and did not include under God. 
it was it, it, Eisenhower added under God in the 50s. Right. So the idea was get rid of the cross and the Bible and replace it with a flag and a pledge. But the flag and the pledge are a lot more malleable. They use words like democracy, which we still hear today, a word our founders never used. They understood that. We're a republic. We're a republic. They never used that word intentionally. So now they're happy to throw away the flag and the pledge and all of that because it was all a stepping stone. And we use a, a word called paideia, which is a lost Greek word in the book, which you'll encounter. And it explains what they were targeting, which is the affections of our youngest kids. They didn't want the universities. They didn't even want the high schools. They wanted the elementary schools. So the grand, the grand experiment goes beyond the university. hundred percent. That was their goal from the beginning. Because paideia is the, is the affections or the acculturation of your youth. What we teach our young people to see is the vision of the good life. Most of that is imprinted on our heart by the age of 12. Most of who we're going to be is right here by the age of 12. The rest you're, you're, you're tinkering with. So when you're talking about gender pronouns or choose your gender, or white people are inherently oppressive and black people are inherently oppressed, and you teach that to six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, that's the only language they know. That's the only context they have. And that's what the progressives are counting on, and that's why it's so important that we fight back. How did COVID fit into this? Because the shutdown sort of accelerated some of this as well and also exposed some of this. 100%. I mean, we are, one of our first couple chapters is called the COVID-16-19 moment. Uh, we actually started writing the book before COVID, and then COVID happened, and all of these examples came out of, you know, your, your kids are at home with the Zoom screen, uh, and now you're watching the teacher too, right. and you're seeing history taught as if America's a racist, horrible place. And, and parents are going, what in the world? I had no idea. Because unions, institutions, uh, the education department, they wanted it all hidden. We're the parents now, not you. Right. That was the idea. Well, the parents finally saw it and revolted. So as dark as things are in the classroom in many ways in America, I actually think we're on the precipice of a, of a renaissance. Specifically in classical Christian education, which is something I'm passionate about, but also in policy here in Florida, elsewhere, where governors and leaders are stepping up, where conservatives and Republicans are finally making education an issue. How long has it been a third or fourth tier issue? I mean, right. for, forever. I mean, George Bush ran on it, remember that? In 2000, right. And then it all changed. So it hasn't been, and even then, that was about standards and excellence, not about the culture war that we're in right now. So I'm very encouraged that governors are stepping up and offering real choice to parents, which disrupts the monopoly that the public, the government school system has on kids, and will hopefully force them to change. Yeah, obviously, it's being handled education and the administration of education about what choices parents have and who controls, whether it's the bureaucracy administration or parents differs from state to state. Florida, Virginia certainly has you know, pushed that issue. Georgia, other states. But then there are other states that really have kind of withdrawn from school choice, oh, as an time. example, like California and, and, and some other places. Well, they double down on their, their uh, alliance with the teachers unions, who are the most powerful political entity of the Democrat Party today, right. who, who, are, who dis- have destroyed excellence in education, uh, but they control the, the politicians so much that they're never held to account for it. So when something goes wrong, they use it as an opportunity to feed their complex, which is what you've seen during COVID with additional money that never gets spent, but ends up going to unions or things that they prioritize, certainly not kids. So this is a, if you can, very much a vote with your feet moment. I mean, I just, we just left New Jersey and moved to Tennessee. Right. And part of what, to a school uh, that we write about in the book, uh, we argue for a radical reorientation of your life around the education of your kids. Like, you know, how much money do you save to go on vacation or to buy a car or do this? 
but yet you default because you think you live in a good zip code to a public school, which is actually teaching your kids stuff you are fundamentally against. Now is a moment where we got to just shake parents and grandparents. And it's not, it's not an indictment of you. It doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It means you didn't know how bad it was either. And neither did I. I was a public school kid. I, I, that's what I assumed my kids would do too. Right. And, then, and then I was mugged by reality. And that's what we're hoping to do with the book too. So let's end on a good note. Yeah. You, you do have some tangible solutions for that sure. folks we, can have. We talk about the educational insurgency. So insurgency, I taught counterinsurgency in Afghanistan. Insurgency is the preferred form of warfare of the weak against the strong of the small against the big. And right now, as you know, freedom-loving, independent-minded, free-thinking people, there aren't a lot of places to turn for education uh, that reinforce that, let alone God. I mean, uh, having God available in schools. So we have to build our own networks and build our own schools and build our own opportunity. Uh, and we're in the early phases of that comeback. But a big part of that comeback is exactly what states are doing by providing real school choice. I mean, dollars follow parents. So parents get the money. Parents decide where they go, public, private, uh, you know, faith-filled or secular. And as a result, I mean, when you, don't, when you lose your monopolistic grip on the people that live in your, in your zip code, uh, that's when the real panic sets in. So it's going to be a fight. But I, I'm more hopeful. I mean, the darkest days of education, uh, in my mind, was the 1970s. There were, there were homeschooling was almost outlawed. There were no classical Christian schools. It was really just the Catholic schools. That's it. Um, and some parents stepped up and started a network, and then you got the school choice movement that's taken about. So I actually think we've got a shot, but we're going to have to move fast because they're, they're stealing the minds of our kids. So not only alternatives like charter schools and homeschooling yep. and vouchers and some of those alternative educational alternative options, but real power to parents as to how they get to participate in the crafting of what their children, how their children learn. It's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, school boards were supposed to be responsive to parents who were ultimately the customers of the product that they're pushing, uh, and they've become controlled in many ways. It's, it's hard, though. There are blue states and red states, and in red states they're saying parents should have a voice. In blue states they say, sit down, the kid is mine, and we might change his gender, and not tell you. That's the product that's of a extreme total, as it gets. Yes, but that's a product of a totally captured system where they don't feel accountable to anybody. And I would say if you can, just leave. Just leave. When your house is on fire, which our house currently is on fire when it comes to the education of our kids, the first thing you do is save your kids, right? Then you call the fire department and put, put the fire out. So you, we can't wait around and say, well, maybe those politicians will get to those education reforms and maybe someday my kid will have a voucher. Do what you can right now for your kid and then work with the folks that want to put parents back in charge. And I, you know, thankfully, a lot of people are doing both. Well, a lot of people are moving. They're voting with their feet they by moving. Come right? right here. I mean, you're, you're in Florida, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the flip in Florida has been now we have 400,000 more Republicans in Florida than we do Democrats. And frankly, it wasn't that long ago when Obama last ran, we had 300,000 more Democrats. It's and that is a response to courageous leadership. Uh, governor DeSantis was featured in season two of The Miseducation of America. We interviewed him. There aren't many governors you could sit down with for 45 minutes on just one topic. And he, it was just one topic of education. Uh, and he was all over it. He was all over it. No, it's fantastic. And I think, but it's that kind of grip of the subject matter that allows him to stare down the interests that are coming after him. Because if you don't understand it, it's, then people, you're anti-education. You can't, no, 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 stop. Let's talk about what's actually happening and why it's happening. And here's the response. Parents don't want to be talked down to or condescended to. Same thing in COVID. They know what's, what's affecting their kids. And when a governor stands up and fights for them to empower them, that's huge. And let's not kid ourselves. Most other governors are looking at DeSantis and saying, well, if he can do it, I should probably do it because he's pretty popular. 
So uh, I think it's good politics for him, too, and glad to see it. Well, he's ready for the challenge with the details. That's important. That's exactly right. Pete Hegseth, I really do appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Politics and Sunshine is a production of the Fort Lauderdale law firm Trip Scott, serving Florida and beyond for over 50 years. A reminder that this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute legal or professional advice. No user should act on the basis of any material contained in this podcast without obtaining proper legal or other professional advice specific to their situation. Please be sure to like and share this podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time for another fresh edition of Trip Scott's Politics and Sunshine.